and welcome to Reading with Christine Figs. I'm your host, Christine, and I am so happy you're here with me today. In this episode, we'll be talking about my most recent read, People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. The description goes like this. Poppy and Alex. Alex and Poppy. They have nothing in common. She's a wild child and he wears khakis. <laughs> she has insatiable wanderlust. He prefers to stay home with a book. And somehow, ever since a fateful car share home from college many years ago, they are the very best of friends. For most of the year, they live far apart. She's in New York City and he's in their small hometown. But every summer for a decade, they have taken one glorious week of vacation together until two years ago when they ruined everything and they haven't spoken since. Poppy has everything she should want, but she's stuck in a rut. And when someone asked when she was last truly happy, she knows without a doubt it was on that ill-fated final trip with Alex. And so she decides to convince her best friend to take one more vacation together, lay everything on the table, and make it all right. Miraculously, he agrees. Now she has a week to fix everything. If only she can get around the one big truth that's always stood quietly in the middle of their seemingly perfect relationship. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Oh, Poppy and Alex, the epitome of will they or won't they? It's needless to say that I love this book. Poppy is described as a wild child, and she just kind of feels like that friend who's a little all over the place, always hopping on a plane ride here or there looking for her newest adventure pushing away the traditional aspects of life that are expected of her, and never really getting too close to people. Except Alex, of course. He's her complete and absolute opposite best friend, who knows her better than anyone. He knows who she is and never tries to change her. He understands why she hates the small town they both come from, and why she never wants to go back. He knows her family and loves them despite their oddities, (laughs) and in return, Poppy understands Alex. She knows the struggles he faced after losing his mother at such a young age, and having been forced to become the parent to his brothers when his father's grief overcame him. She's also the only one who can bring out the real Alex, or the naked Alex, as she calls him, the version of himself he doesn't share with anyone, except her. Watching their friendship unfold throughout the chapters was my absolute favorite part of this story. Each chapter goes back and forth between summer trips past and the current adventure that they're on. While reading their history, you can see that their bond is unlike any other one they have with other people in their lives. They really bring out the best in each other, but they also provide this safe space that while you're reading the story, you can't help but think, oh, they're home for each other. But life is rarely that simple. And when you're carrying the traumas from your childhood, it will affect your adulthood and it will absolutely affect your relationships. As you watch them date other people throughout the years, you can see why all of these other people make sense for them to be with. Some of them making more sense than each other. I loved watching them navigate their friendship in the middle of the realities of life. And I know I've said it before, and maybe it's just a testament to good writing, but it all felt so real. You know when something hits you hard that you find yourself just kind of staring at a wall trying to process whatever it is you just experienced? That was me with this book. (laughs) In the end, I was like, what the fuck did I just read and why did it hit me so hard? I thought this was going to be some lighthearted romantic comedy. And while there were many moments in which I laughed out loud, the the material was ridiculously relatable, especially for anyone who's ever experienced falling in love with their best friend. I definitely recommend this book. I would also say it's a great gift option for the reader in your life. People are always saying that they'd love to buy me books, but are never sure what I would like or what I've already read. 
don't worry, I now have a registry for all the books that I want to resolve this exact issue. <laughs> but this book would make a great gift for the reader in your life. It's a great contemporary romance novel, and I know there are tons of people who would enjoy it. Therefore, I have added it to my online shop, Reading with Christine Figs. The link is in all of my bios if you're interested in checking it out. All right, now on to the art portion of this episode, where we'll be discussing the documentary Victoria's Secret, Angels and Demons, which is available on Hulu. The description for the documentary goes like this. Investigated with journalistic rigor by director Matt Tirinar? Tirinar? <laughs> I hate that I don't know how to say it, but it's a doozy. This documentary tells the searing and provocative story of the Victoria's Secret brand and its longtime CEO, the larger-than-life, enigmatic billionaire Les Wexner. It's a three-episode documentary, starting off with episode one titled Inventing Victoria. It's described, or the episode is described as, everybody knows Victoria's Secret, but few know the truth about the man behind it. Les Wexner, born to humble roots, manages to build a fashion empire. Along the way, he forms a close, mysterious friendship with Jeffrey Epstein. Yup, you heard that right. The biggest shocker of this entire documentary series is just how much Jeffrey Epstein is wrapped up in this story. So truthfully, I had no idea who Les Wexner was. I knew Victoria's Secret was owned by a man, but I never knew his name and truthfully didn't care. I especially didn't know anything about him personally or that he owned limited brands. Why is that a big deal? You might be asking because limited brands was at one point made up of Victoria's Secret, Pink, which is a branch of Victoria's Secret, The Limited, Bath and Body Works, Henry Bendel, Lane Bryant, Lerner, which eventually became New York and Company, and Abercrombie and Fitch. Meaning, there was a time in which most of my money and that of my friends was all going to Les Wexner. Our Friday night trips to the mall in high school was filled with running around these stores, which makes sense because most of these stores made up most of our malls. We're the ones that made him the billionaire he still is today. Watching how the company grew was actually pretty fascinating, and my personal opinions about Victoria's Secret aside, I completely understand how they had the women in my life and myself in a chokehold. It was a brilliant plan from the start, until it started to crumble. Episode 2 is called The Secret Friend, and its description is like this. As the Victoria's Secret angels become superstars and profits soar, Epstein holds a woman against her will on Wexner's property. The brand expands to attract tween girls with pink, while the insidious link between Wexner and Epstein goes unchecked. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Wild. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein owned and lived in the guest house of Wexner's property. And if you're thinking the guest house would be a small shack, you are sorely mistaken. He essentially had his own mansion on Wexner's property, which makes Wexner's constant stance that he had no idea what Jeffrey Epstein and... Whew, I'm running out of breath because I'm talking so fast. <laughs> so it kind of just makes the fact that he said he had no idea what Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell were up to during that entire time harder and harder to believe. Like, how could you not know? This episode is one of those that you need to watch it and have your own jaw drop. So I don't want to go into any further detail. Just know that for a minute it becomes the Jeffrey Epstein show and the grip that this man had in so many things. Well, it's freaking disgusting absolutely disgusting. Okay, episode three. It's labeled Tarnished Angels and described as 
As times change, the brand struggles to keep up, and a stunning web of influence among the billionaire class is revealed. Wexner's empire then crumbles under the weight of the Epstein allegations and a shifting cultural and fashion landscape. Episode 3 is where you see things change for the better, and I don't mean for Victoria's Secret. Episode 3 is where you actually see their downfall. During this time, Jeffrey Epstein is arrested for the second time, and the connection between him and Victoria's Secret is made public, making it even harder for Les Wexner to deny his involvement in Epstein's disgusting behavior. Along with that, the Me Too movement really takes its full swing, and we have survivors standing up all over the world declaring that it will what it will no longer tolerate. And at the same time, the body positivity movement changes the game for everything. Suddenly, women don't want to dress as someone's sexual fantasy while standing in line for groceries. And that's not to shame anyone who does. As, this is, as a society, we're just finally starting to embrace the complexities of being a woman. And when a brand only wants one thing from you and spends decades telling you what you should be, well, and chastises you for saying you might know better yourself, well, fuck them. I was an avid Victoria's Secret shopper while in high school and well into my 20s. I used to wear the extreme uh, bombshell bra, the one that doubles your cup size, squeezing your boobs together while simultaneously choking your neck with them. (laughs) I literally had it in every color, except they didn't carry it in my size. So I would have to make adjustments to them just for it to fit. And every time I put one on, I was reminded that I wasn't Victoria's Secret's idea of beauty. The ramifications of that echoed through my life. And I'm not saying that they were the cause of my issues with body dysmorphia, but they definitely didn't make it better. Flash forward to Aries' no-retouching lifestyle, where models are shown with their colostomy bags. We now have Rihanna's Fenty, showing all different types of beautiful humans walking her runway. You can't watch her runway show and not see yourself in someone, which is a stark contrast to watching the old Victoria's Secret runway shows, where you would usually think to yourself, I'll never look like that. Somewhere along the way, we started demanding better for ourselves. And even though Les Wexner, along with a few other higher ups, left the company and they've done a complete rebranding and almost feels like the words of my girl Jojo, too little, too late. The future of Victoria's Secret is uncertain, but this documentary is one that blew my mind away. If you have any interest in watching it, you can find it on Hulu. This is a long episode. I feel like I've been running out of breath the whole time I've been talking. Okay, I think that that's all for now. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you stay tuned for the next one where I talk about my current read, The Unsinkable Greta James by Jennifer E. Smith. And let me tell you, I am really enjoying it. So until next time, I hope you read. And if you can't, because that's just how life goes sometimes, I hope you enjoy some art in whatever form you find it. Because when life gets difficult, it is art in all of its many forms that can hold us, heal us, and give us hope. I love you all. Happy reading.